When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of Creatures of the Night. As you all know by now, we skipped an episode this month because we were on location filming and finishing up a project that we've been teasing. But we are back now, and we are ready for a new episode. (laughs) I'm feeling great. Did you miss the podcast the last episode? I did, a little bit. I I mean, as you know, we were very, very busy, so I didn't have too much time to think about the things I was missing out on, but I've said this before on the podcast, it's such a labor of love, and I love and enjoy everything about recording it, so I'm happy to be back in the studio. Me too, and I think everyone's going to be happy when they find out why we missed the episode, which I think we'll Mm -hmm. be able to talk about I'm hoping by right around the time this episode comes out, right? I think so. I mean, I feel a little guilty because we keep teasing it. And I feel like if I was an audience member or a listener, I'd be like, girl, please, darling, just shut up and let us know what it is already. So the next time we talk about it, we have to like pull the curtain back and give them the show. Absolutely. And we're going to. And I think they're going to be really thrilled. The thing is, is, you know, when you're trying to promote something new that's coming out, your fans hear about it first and they may hear about it a lot, but you really have to scream it from the mountaintop everywhere in every way you can in order to reach broader audiences. So they're just going to have to fucking deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that. Um, but no, I think they're happy to hear about it. And this time we have so much behind the scenes stuff that I'm excited. I can't wait to share it with them. But anyways, um, also one thing that people mentioned, uh, we got so many emails while we were out last month. So we have a lot of listener questions to catch up on, but two of them I wanted to talk about off the top today is people were asking about season four casting because you remember we had told people we were going to announce casting for season four by the end of August. And we are still going to be 
doing casting, but we just pushed it back a little bit because of some developments that are very exciting. And we'll probably be talking about that uh, shortly after Halloween, I think, right? Right. I mean, I'm sure it's very frustrating to be out there wondering when the casting is actually going to happen. But for us, it's kind of a pleasure to see these people like wiggling and squirming just a little bit longer. I mean, work on your stuff. If you're if you're planning on auditioning, get ready. Because once we do announce it, it's going to be fast and furious. It's not going to be like you have tons of time to uh, work on it. And just reference the old audition requirements. It's going to be very similar. Yeah. And if you really want to do some homework, due diligence, go back to previous episode of Creatures of the Night where we had the three previous winners because they all gave some very sage advice about what to do and how to conduct yourself during those um, auditions. And there was one piece of information that they all shared and you should pay attention to it. And I'm not going to share it here. Go back and take a listen. People were also asking about our book, uh, if they, they wanted some updates on that. Several people asked, and we are still working on it. It's all happening in the background. Things just take a long time, but it's going to be fantastic. And I can add a new tease that we are also doing a comic book coming out soon, a limited series. I'm not going to tell you too much about it, but I will say this. It is going to be the Boulay Brothers origin story. And we're working on it with uh, Steve Orlando and some other people. It's going to be fantastic. I'm so excited about that. For those of you that know us well, you know that we have a very warm place in our hearts for anything creative and fantasy driven and the world of comics is no exception and we're super excited about this project and i'm excited to be working with steve on it i hope to have him on the podcast soon because uh, he writes a lot of my favorite comic books too you know the stars of the various industries come out in droves to work with us darling we just have to get used to it (laughs) we're gonna cut that (laughs) no we're not it's a prestigious group of people and i i'm i'm really kind of flattered that he stepped forward and said that he would you know want to work on this project with us so why not enjoy it track you really have to bask in the attention when you get the opportunity how many times have i told you that so anyway since we're deleting all that anyways um everyone by the way Lots of emails on this one. Everyone wants me to redo The Worst Witch. Okay? They specifically said Drac should redo The Worst Witch. And I just wanted you to know that. And I'm going to put this in. I completely agree with them. Just you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe Mrs. Garrett's character. It's already covered, honey. I'm not, I'll never be your understudy, no matter how many times you try to force that to happen. But I did go back because people were posting some old footage of that movie. And I can't believe um, some of the other actors that were in there. Why do I feel like it's going to happen? I mean, (laughs) I feel like it's going to happen and I'm going to make it happen. You better make it happen. I will. Tim Curry was on that cast and I was just gagged to see that footage again. I mean, and it is terrible, but The Worst Witch does have some some, kind of cool actors. I don't know why. I kind of think it could be done in a cool way. I mean, it still needs to be kind of campy and musical, but I feel like you could make it a little edgier, maybe. Like a little smelly. Evil, oh, wicked, no. and cruel. You did not. <laughs> oh, there are some redeeming qualities to that movie. I have to admit it. It's just catchy, you know? That's what it yeah. is. Um, yeah. I mean, look, in the world of Harry Potter being canceled, somebody's got to step up to the plate. You know what I mean? And this is the original witch school movie. So think about that. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I want to also remind people that we are doing our Halloween review episode soon. And what that means is we're going to be uh, reviewing 
all sorts of Halloween seasonal goods like uh, it could be coffees, it could be candles, perfumes, anything that's sort of just created for Halloween seasonal items. We're going to be reviewing those seasonal items soon. So uh, tag companies that you know that have some of your favorite brands that you'd like us to review and see if they can send us some stuff and we will check it out here on the podcast. After all, this season is our speciality. Exactly. And you know what prompted this was um, I am very into Halloween candles and scents, like not the cheap ones, but like, you know, real ones that seem like they're authentic and they're unique. And um, I have to tell you, it is difficult to find ones that aren't sickening sweet. It's true. I think we've been searching for that campfire scent, what feels like for years at this point, and really haven't landed on the perfect one yet. That's what I want. Or like a, a leather smelling candle that doesn't have a sweetness to it. The, those, or, or even like foresty kind of smells that are not sweet. I don't know why they always have to like try to make it smell like candy or something. It's like horrible. Um, <laughs> anyway, so hopefully through this process, we will discover this campfire candle we've been searching for forever. The time has come to bring in our co-host of Creatures of the Night, Ian DeVogler. Welcome to the show, darling. Hey, ladies. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> Wonderful, as always. Thank you so much for having me back. Have you gotten any sleep since we've all gotten back? Um, what, what counts as sleep? Because if it's closing <laughs> your eyes and just thinking about all the work you have to do and then like, like opening them back up in a cold sweat, I've been doing that a lot. So yeah, I've been sleeping. Great. <laughs> Are you having production night terrors? Oh my gosh, I'm definitely having production night terrors, but I did also, swear to God, have a dream involving Ethel Merman last night. Oh my God. Oh my God. You can't share the specter of Ethel is always (laughs) hanging over you, darling. There's no escape. What happened? (laughs) Okay, here's the like the bad part though is a tr- I, you're going to read me for this. I don't know what Ethel Merman looks like or like kind of <laughs> anything about her. But so I'm having this production nightmare. I'm like, oh my God, we're late. We're like five hours behind. We haven't taken a lunch. It's due and da 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 da. And then I turn around and Drac is like, don't worry, Ethel Merman is coming to set. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And so this like drag person walks into the room and I'm like, oh, it's Ethel. And then, like that was that was the end of the dream. So I don't know. I'm thinking that it's an omen that Ethel Merman is gonna save all of us. Okay. If Ethel Merman walks onto the set, you'd better run because she's been dead for a very long time. <laughs> I don't know, man. This sounds like a good wow. thing happening. And you know, I w- I was gonna say she's also not a drag queen but i i actually think maybe she was a drag queen. <laughs> i think maybe she was and if she wasn't technically she definitely was like an honorary drag queen yeah original afab queen i believe that <laughs> i think i think that of miss kitty too that we used to do events with yes. i think she is a, a original afab queen and she just didn't know it no she didn't in fact oh. if, she, if she's listening she'll be educated when she hears this podcast and then <laughs> the phone will ring because she'll want to like take your head off <laughs> I think she's cool with it now, though. I think she just used to get mad back in the day when people would confuse her with Jackie B. That's why she got mad. Wow. Just salt the wound. I'm just saying. I can totally understand because I get really uncomfortable and really mad when people confuse me for a woman on the phone, which happens <laughs> all the time. I like swear to God, or like in the drive-thru or where. And so I've I've adopted putting on this like really strange like 
like i don't know i guess like masculine voice that's like so weird and corny but it's like all i can do to avoid like yes mrs james that's great (laughs) you know let's hear the voice yeah i want to hear this now well look we just spent a lot of time together and we spent a lot of time together in the vehicle and we actually went to many drive-thrus now i know you don't put that masculine voice on the drive-thru because i have i was reporting (laughs) that was crazy Oh my god. The uh well the drive-through show that I gave you guys, I mean, that was a special treat. We have been driving for like 12 hours. I was like, I got I gotta do this. Um <clears throat> let me see if I can do the voice on command. <clears throat> uh hi, yeah. Uh I uh I have some news updates for you. Um no, I actually I think that's fine. Thank you. Uh Spectrum, no, I do not want to cancel my uh phone plan. I do want to wring your neck. Uh it goes something like this. Uh, I'm a top, uh, hung, uh, six foot five, uh, bears only. <laughs> and they show up. Good job. Hey, what's sorry, still, sorry, still sounds like a woman. <laughs> oh my God. Well, gender is a social construct, so I'm totally fine with that. Exactly. Don't listen to her. She's just trying to hold you down. <laughs> What is happening in the world of horror in Hollywood this episode? First up, I have a few updates from the darkened screens of movie theaters, with more delays, casting updates, and some shade from Sony executives. Uh, Just to make sure everyone is up to date with the new Scream movie, Nev Campbell has finally, officially signed on to return as Sidney Prescott, ready to take on Ghostface in Woodsboro once again. Uh, Nev Campbell will be joined by other legendary cast members that we've reported on previous episodes, and the cast is also being bolstered by Marley Shelton, who appeared in Scream 4. Uh, Other interesting Scream news, Matthew Lillard has raised speculation that his character in the original Scream may not have died from his wounds. So who knows, maybe we'll see Stu return as well. Mm, very cute she's thirsty she wants some more screen time i'm kind of in love with this uh i i know that they've tried to redo a million horror movies before but i'm in love with this new idea of redoing horror movies but bringing back the original cast like how they're doing in halloween they're bringing Mm -hmm. kyle richards and i just i love that i think it's great yeah no i i'm into it as well like i think it's really fun to have new stories but it's kind of the characters that you love um i don't know there's like a weird nostalgia factor and i feel like there's also kind of i don't know maybe an element of kind of camp to it where it's like oh i know all these people and they're maybe 20 30 years older but playing the same characters it's cool i think that what you have to dodge with those kind of situations is um playing it too safe with them because i always feel like sometimes when they bring those people back they don't want to do anything surprising with them or push their character too much because the fans are so in love with the image that they portrayed before oh, i'm yeah. like shake it up you know what i mean mm-hmm. or avoiding it be like oh this is just like a cameo where they're on screen for like two seconds like if you're gonna bring them back bring them back do something meaningful with them uh and kill them off mm-hmm. who knows well, yeah, or kill him off like immediately or something like that. Really shock people. <laughs> I always worry that that's what you guys are going to do to me every episode of the podcast. So <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. Hello, Ian. We wanted to tell you now on air that you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that will not be edited out. I promise you. <laughs> we wanted I- your real natural reaction. <laughs> The real. <laughs> this is the same reaction that I had when Ethel Merman showed up as a drag person oh my in my God. dream. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Well, uh, moving on to some uh, disappointing movie news. Uh, The Candyman reboot, which we talked about a little bit in episode two, has been delayed indefinitely until, quote, sometime in 2021. Um, 
This sucks, but I guess personally I understand the need to push it back. Uh, recently, Sony Pictures Entertainment chairman Tony Vincicara responded to the poor performance of 20th Century's New Mutants release, saying, quote, and I love this, quote, What we won't do is make the mistake of putting out a very, very expensive $200 million movie out in the market unless we're sure that theaters are open and operating at significant capacity. This super shady quote comes alongside the indefinite delay of Venom, Leathery Carnage, the new Ghostbusters movie, Morbius, and Monster Hunter. Wow. You know, I understand. It's it's a weird time, and those movies cost lots of money. So It's interesting. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's just interesting because there's going to be a polarity shift away from theaters, or at least you know, going to a theater proper and like home entertainment. As annoying as that is, because we've all been spending so much time at home, just becomes that much more significant. Which is kind of great if you have, let's say, you're producing a reality competition show or something, like drag monsters and stuff like that. And it's like Halloween season. You know, it's really great for people like that. <laughs> okay, well, it also gives. <laughs> It also gives opportunity, I feel, to indie movie producers and directors and even actors to get their name out there. Because as we know, like a a few really low budget movies have become big hits in the last few months. And that opportunity would not have been there if it wasn't for this pandemic. I just want to be sure that that's clear. Really, really low budget ones have become good for them. I mean, our show was super low budget when we started, too. It's true. No, I, I'm just being funny, but that's it, it's kind of an interesting turn of events to see films like that ending up in drive-ins when drive-ins were the only ways you can view movies and they become like the, the number one movie in the country, which is just stymieing to think that that could happen. But it's really kind of interesting, too. Up next, I have an update from the scariest place imaginable, the hellscape of our current reality. I don't have any cryptozoology updates for you, unfortunately, but I do have a real-life ghost sighting that has been making headlines. Uh, One of the most reportedly haunted places on Earth, the battlefield of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, is no stranger to ghost stories with over 50,000 soldiers killed in the three days of that battle during the Civil War. But earlier this month, New Jersey resident Greg Euling caught two of these ghosts on camera. Driving through the fog and recording on his phone, two ghostly shapes can be seen running in front of the vehicle before disappearing without a trace. Whether or not this footage is real, and I've seen it, it is scary as hell, and honestly, it looks more real than a lot of ghost movies I've seen recently. Ghosts are real. I'm into it now. What did you... I saw that, and I was curious what you thought... What do you think it was? Um, if I had to be completely honest... It's probably not real. Like, I'm assuming, like, who goes to an abandoned cemetery in the middle of the night and records? And I'm like, oh, wait, maybe people will find out in a month. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Um, But I don't know. It's that footage to me. It looks like real people. Like, they look like people in what I would consider to be, I guess, like, period accurate, uh, like, clothing so you know with the opacity kind of lowered all the way down so if you're into that sort of thing and you really buy into it i'm like oh my god this is like very very effective ghost sightings but in the back of my mind i'm like someone's really trying to play like a viral trick here i'm kind of shook like jaw on the ground i want to see this footage i haven't seen it yet i think probably the way that this news is hitting me it might be hitting a lot of our listeners so you've given me something to kind of like sign off and google because i definitely want to check this out I used to go to Gettysburg quite a bit when I was a child. And I think if anywhere in the world is haunted, that might be one of them. Did you get uh, haunted vibes from it or? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, there's a weird energy. There is a weird energy to it. 
for sure. And there's very old museums filled with like, there's a big main one that is just filled with Civil War relics and guns and you know there's lots of videos and you could it was just a very bloody place you know and you you just it has a very strange energy to it wow interesting that is super creepy um well lastly i wanted to get a little bit of a head start on the halloween season because not only is everyday halloween but we're just two weeks away from october and the global pandemic has made the fate of spooky season kind of uncertain Um, Unfortunately, Los Angeles has officially become the first major city to effectively ban Halloween. A public health announcement has put new guidelines in place, banning the following activities in October. You ready? Ready. Door-to-door trick-or-treating, trunk-or-treating, or or any event that involves kids getting candy from strangers, gatherings or parties with non-household members, even if they are outdoors, and all carnivals, festivals, live entertainment, or haunted house attractions. Wow. You know, I want to ask this. Do you think it's fair that they're trying to let kids go to school, but they can't have Halloween? What is more important? (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) Honestly. I mean, for mental health, I'd argue that school is a torture and Halloween is a therapy. (laughs) Well, you know what? Halloween is all about rebelling. So, no, I I mean, you know, hey, we're in a pandemic. We have to adjust this year. And if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. I just hope that those same rules are in place when all these people's sacred Christmas comes around in two months and that they also will ban everything. Oh, I love this assault on Christmas track. Good form. I know. I also want to know where sacred Christmas is. Well, you know, go to church. You'll see. (laughs) (laughs) On the subject of schools, as someone who was habitually forced to do workbooks over the summer, I think that in-school learning is, like, lame and annoying. So just do your workbooks at home um, and, I don't know, celebrate Halloween by, I don't know, maybe watching something, you know, play with those Dragula-related. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're going to give them lots to do. Even though Halloween is sort of canceled this year, I think we are going to be giving people a whole lot to do. Many things, actually. So, you know, if they stay tuned, we'll make sure we save Halloween. All that said, there are some places, though, that are moving forward with Halloween festivities. Namely, many places are introducing drive-in haunted attractions, which we reported on in a few episodes. And other places are loosening restrictions and will be hosting indoor Halloween attractions. One really interesting one is the Las Vegas Fright Dome, which is using COVID-19 guidelines to its advantage and ensuring that no groups larger than six will be able to enter its 75,000 square foot haunted attraction at a time and using a medical horror theme where guests will be forced or required to wear masks as they navigate the halls of a derelict hospital and try to escape a mad doctor and his nurses, who are all also wearing masks because, you know, hospitals. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 75,000 square feet. That's impressive. That's a big girl. Yeah. Well, you know, on that note, our producer for Creatures of the Night, Natasha Posetta, has been working on her first haunted house attraction. Yeah. And, yeah, and we're going to bring her in to talk to us about the challenges she's facing as a haunt creator who is operating during these times. So, Natasha, this is your debut. Welcome to the show. Hello, darlings. How are you? How are you? I am so thrilled to be on with you guys and thank you so much for, you know, having me on to talk about my haunt adventures. 
Of course. We're excited to hear about it. We were we remember you mentioning it to us a while ago that you were working on it and we were waiting to see how it all turned out. So we are really excited to hear what you've come up with. Yeah. So uh, during the pandemic, I kind of got a little stir crazy and decided to follow my lifelong dream of creating a haunted house. <laughs> um, and since I live in an apartment in Dallas, I have no home to actually you know, open up to trick-or-treaters and trick-or-treating is canceled anyway this year. So I found a magical place in the DFW area. It's this wonderful mall that's stuck in the 90s and they have been open for the majority of the pandemic actually and are doing everything, you know, very safe, you know, enforcing social distancing, wearing masks. And so I I went to them and I was like, look, I want to open a haunted house in here. And they kind of looked at me for a second and they were like, do you, you do know like it's 2020 and it's a pandemic. I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) 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 And they miraculously said, okay. And so they gave me this old Charlotte Russe, which is like a, a teeny bopper girl's clothing store. And we're like, okay, make a haunted house out of this. And that's what I've been doing for the past three months. <laughs> wow. So what, what, tell us, like, is there a theme to it? Like, what's the story of it? Yeah. So uh, obviously, um, I love you. And it's kind of my whole, uh, like, aesthetic, I would say, is partly inspired by the Boulay Brothers. And the <laughs> other part is inspired by my love of Italian horror from the 80s, mm-hmm. um, which is a very different take on a haunted house, I would say. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know too many haunts that are inspired by like Fulci and Argento <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and glam and filth. Um, but uh, that's what I tried to bring to this. And it follows the story of this girl named Lucy who is blind and she lives alone in this fabulous decaying mansion, of course. And um, she actually has a superpower and you know, kind of unfortunately for her, her nightmares become reality. So this is like Ooh. one of Ian's nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this. I love the scripted idea. So this is like a full fantasy experience. Yes. Yes. So um, it's, it's, it's a short 10, 15 minute walkthrough, but um, Lucy has lost her guide dog inside her home and she's afraid that her nightmares are going to turn her dog into one of them. And so participants uh, are implored to find her dog, Dario, um, before her nightmares do. And uh, it's it's just a fun, you know, thing that I had no idea how much work would go into it. Um, but here we are and we're two weeks away from opening. That's amazing. So what do you are you having to do? What are you doing differently to make sure it's safe? And, you know, what are the challenges of COVID? Definitely. Um, So uh, I saw the pandemic as kind of this opportunity instead of an obstacle where, you know, we can do this. Like stores are are opening. You can go to Walmart. You can go to Home Depot. So why why can't you go to a haunted house? Um, But the special thing we're doing with uh, Nightscape, that's the name of the haunt, we are only allowing one party inside the haunt at a time. So if it's like you and, you know, a sibling or a friend or someone who you've been quarantining with, um, it's only you in the haunt. So there's no one in front of you. There's no one in back of you. It's just you and all of Lucy's nightmares. So and everything is very spaced out. 
our actors all have masks. Everything will be sanitized. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I think we're we're actually able to do this in a safe and fun way. That's fantastic. Um, are people in your area taking COVID seriously? Like, how does it feel to be where you are? Absolutely. Uh, I think everyone is super serious about it. Everyone's very respectful in the mall. Um, uh, all masks are wear- worn at all times. Social distancing markers are everywhere. There's hand sanitizing stations. Um, you know, it's it's definitely not taken lightly. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a way for people to you know, have fun, still socially distant, you know, be safe. But, you know, if you do want to do something and go somewhere, um, this is a good option for for people who want to enjoy the spooky season. There's there's like a silver lining in this entire pandemic setup because oftentimes, like I'm no stranger to a haunted house, and oftentimes people that are actually scared will cling to the party like in front of them or cling yes. to the or kind of kind of linger and like wait to the party behind them, catch up so they're not by themselves. And I love this idea that you have no choice. Like you have to be alone, kind of floating through this thing. It's really adds another layer of fun. Thank you. Isn't that scary? Yeah, because I know I'm the first person to jump on the stranger in front of me in a haunted house. (laughs) Oh, totally. So this, I think, will add to the scariness. I think so, too. I I consider you one of the heroes who have kind of stepped forward to save Halloween in your own way. I really do. And I love to see it. And we're happy to kind of let other other people know out there that they can find your haunt, Nightscapes, in Dallas and check it out this season. And I, I hope that they do. And I wish you nothing but the best. And I want to wish anyone else the best out there who have come forward and come up with creative ways to uh, celebrate Halloween, even though we are in the middle of a pandemic. Well, thank you, darlings. I love you all. And you are my heroes. And you definitely inspired some of the vibe for this haunt. So I know you guys are are doing some really special things. And I can't wait for everyone to uh, to find out what they are. And, and you are the true heroes of Halloween. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, for our listeners at home, too, this is the last episode of the podcast that Natasha will be working on. She's moving on to a new company. Mm. And Natasha, we just wanted to say thank you for all the work you've done to help Creatures of the Night so special. And we wish you nothing but success in your new job. Oh, I love you. Thank you so much, Drax, Swan, and Ian. You guys are the best. You are fabulous to work with, and I wish you all the best. And hopefully we can meet in the future when there isn't a pandemic or dumpster fire year happening. (laughs) Sure we will. Absolutely. Good luck with your haunt, and we will talk soon. Thanks, darlings. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next segment and welcome all of our ugliful little monsters at home to our world-famous, extremely terrifying creature Feature Movie Review. We're going to bring Ian back for this. Ian, are you there? I am here. Thank you for having me back. (laughs) (laughs) So, the movie that we're going to review this episode is called Host and is directed by Rob Savage and it's currently streaming on Shudder. Uh, It's a found footage horror movie that was made during quarantine and done exclusively over Zoom. And I have to say, just to kick this off, 
after all the digital drag shows and Zoom meetings and all the annoying media that this pandemic has forced us all to endure, I was immediately not into this idea. But <laughs> <laughs> literally everywhere I turn, it's been getting rave reviews. So I was literally listening to NPR and they did a whole segment on it. So I thought, you know what? Here we are. Let's just accept it. So what did you guys think? What's your verdict? I was pleasantly surprised. I think I am team Drac when it comes to quarantine-related media. I It's really, really strange when you guys are like, okay, we're going to review host. I had just the day before said... I don't want to watch any media that has to do with quarantine, that has to do with like Zoom, like anything like that. I just find the whole thing to be such a turnoff. But I started watching this and we had just had a Zoom meeting about a project, like, you know, maybe an hour before I sat down to watch this. So the concept of Zoom and like what the layout was like very, very familiar. And I love a movie that is kind of short. It's concise. Um Overall, I thought it was good. There, there's one really great scare that I want to talk about at the end, but I figure we'll dig into that a little later. What did you sure. guys think? Yeah, my overview is very similar. Um, at first, I will pretty much from the opening scene, I immediately got feelings uh, of found footage horror that we've seen um, from the past, like Paranormal Activity, a little bl- bit of uh, Blair Witch Project. Um, but this had like a different kind of relatable quality because of the quarantine and the fact that we've been doing tons of Zoom meetings and you've kind of gotten almost intimately familiar with other people's backgrounds, which kind of yeah. hauntingly became like a big deal in this movie because I just kept looking in the background um, for for the scare. And like sometimes it was there and sometimes it wasn't, but it kind of just kind of tantalized me for the entire hour that this movie was running like I just kept my eyes like darting all over the background I wasn't sure at first maybe like the first 15-20 minutes I'm like is this really going to be like I'm waiting for the the type of fear that they were going to introduce because it takes a minute for the fear to come in and the scares to actually arrive but I think once they do um I kind of like dismiss any of the other issues that I had with it because it was, it actually proved to be like really fun and kind of gratuitous because they didn't give you a little, they kind of gave you a lot, um, which was something I enjoyed. I, I kind of liked it. I would tell other people to check it out for that reason. I agree with that. I was pleasantly surprised. I, like I said, I was not into the idea of a zoom horror movie. I'm like, no, you know, and I think a few people have done it. Michael Verratti who works on Dragula, put out something like that similar uh, earlier at the beginning of the pandemic. So I just feel like at this point, we've all been drained of this sort of content. Um, but it was but it was pleasantly surprising. And I think it was well done. I agree that it was like short and concise, concise, which was nice. So you could sit down for an hour, watch a fun horror movie and move on. And it wasn't too much of an investment, which I think is the call to order these days. Mm-hmm. I, I think for me, one of the biggest strengths of the movie were the actors, um, I, for a moment, I forgot that these were all actors in a movie. Like it just seemed like these were real people kind of going through this experience, which I think was partially helped by the fact that it was all on zoom. Um, their terror feels real. And I was like, maybe if I was in that kind of situation, I don't think I'd be bringing my camera everywhere with me. Like, let me lug my MacBook around while I'm being on. Yeah. That, that was one of my issues. I'm like, who wears their MacBook <laughs> like a body cam? Cause I've never seen that shit happen. I'm like, what is happening? But, I know. Well, I also, I was like, I mean, you know, we all know people that scare very easily, and I forget the character's name, but the one that went to open the attic, I'm like, no one on earth is going to get scared and go open and pull down their attic and their ladder. No one that is afraid is going to do that <laughs> ever. Yeah. 
totally. I did think that the I, I read a little bit about the movie after I watched it, and the the I guess the attic scene I really love because originally this was a short film that was done by the director Rob Savage, um, where he played kind of a, just a similar trick on his friends. Um, they all had a Zoom call, and then I, I haven't seen the actual video, but I read about it where he hears something kind of in the background. He's like, "Oh, I don't I don't know what that is. Like, let me go check it out." And he brings his computer with him and all his friends are like no no no, don't like what are you doing what are you doing and he goes into his attic and then there's like a jump scare and so he oh, fooled, wow. yeah so he fooled all of his friends and then he that he used that uh, as kind of like a viral pitch for host uh, so i did think i was like oh that's kind of an interesting nod to the original um that inspired it i guess interesting um what did you guys think about the the overall design you know they kept the zoom vibe throughout even through to the credits this was something that i really enjoyed and at times i it almost confused me as if is that in the movie or is that like on my screen right now i'm not sure and i thought it was very clever that the credits were handled the way that they were because it looked like uh sort of like a chat room interface or something like that Mm -hmm. and you could tell that the designers of this movie they, they had people on their team that were intimately familiar with zoom it's you know similar uh chat programs and and all of their capabilities because some of the stuff i wasn't even aware was was possible like those designer backgrounds and like some of the filters that were cast on the girl's face like you know the technology was almost like another star of this movie all i could think of was that one girl with the lizard tongue shooting out for some reason i was like that's ian oh totally just crying he would put that on forgot that it was on and then getting scared as hell (laughs) and looking foolish and amazing at the same time it had an eerie quality though yeah, I, I felt like, I mean, first of all, you're not wrong. And when you're like, oh, we all have that friend who gets scared really easily. Hi, it me. Uh, but no, it's totally that would be me. like, oh, ah, 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 like, look at this fun thing I found. And then we're all getting murdered. And I'm like, I don't know how to turn it off. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, that's funny. There was, uh, you know, I, I think if I had any recommendations, I would have people kind of go in just with an open mind. Um, I think that the the script, there's just the premise of the movie. I mean, I, hi, I'm not like a master of the occult in any capacity or anything like that. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure that seances don't work over the internet. Like, I kind of <laughs> think you have to be in the same room, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that, that was part of it, right? It was sort of like a new interpretation of something like that. And could occult forces get into your computer and go over bandwidth and you know i don't know even the mask looked kind of digital when it was floating there at the end or that face mm-hmm. so i think that was what they were kind of playing with right i think so but it was it, it made it a little hard to take seriously for me um you know like don't disrespect the spirits because you've invited a demon and now she's popping all over our neighborhood like i i just couldn't <laughs> i couldn't i'm like is it that easy like we're having a full-on conversation like five minutes in like knock one Okay, she's there. Oh, two. Oh, she's upset. Like, it's not that simple. Is it a perfect movie? No, but it doesn't need to be perfect. I think it was still really fun. And uh, maybe I'll give kind of like a big spoiler warning here because I do want to talk about something that I noticed that was it's my favorite thing that happened. And it's at the very end. Um, you know, we had, like I said, we had just had a Zoom meeting. And one of the things that if you're unfamiliar with Zoom, if you don't have an upgraded account, you're you're locked out at 40 minutes. So at 40 minutes, uh, a pop-up appeared on the screen that said, like, the host has upgraded uh, this the session, and now it's going to continue for another 20 minutes. Like, okay, great. So it kind of fits in with, the, like, you know, it's a 57-minute runtime. We've got 
we got 20 extra minutes. And the final scare of the movie, you can see there's a 60 second timer on the top left corner of the screen. That's like this meeting will end in 60 seconds. And then in that 60 seconds, the, the last surviving character is using that Polaroid camera to try and see the spirit or whatever. And just like seeing that in the corner and knowing that the scare was coming, it almost made it for me scarier. I was like, oh my God, like I'm just anticipating like 10 nine and like it kept flashing and then of course the last second there's a flash and then you get to see the monster and then just kind of like very unceremoniously just boop it just ends and i was like oh okay you know what this is kind of wrapped it in a bow and i actually i really loved the ending i liked a lot of the stuff that they were able to pull off because you know at first i'm thinking like okay this has got to be like super low budget so i wasn't expecting some of you know, for lack of a better word, like the effects that they were able to pull off and, and the way playing with like spectral pr- presences and like a poltergeist and having something unseen, like physically attack and kind of like literally throw people's bodies around. It was believable. So it got really fun for me once we started really kind of interacting with like the spirit. You know, surprisingly sophisticated, some of the effects, even the uh, the girlfriend that got sucked into the air and choked, you know, and drops into the pool, all that. Like, I was surprised. I didn't think it was going to get that impressive, you know? Yeah, Drac, that's like one of your signature moves, like choke them out and throw them across the room. Mm-hmm, especially when it's a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, I, I, I totally agree. And the thing that I'm, th- I'm just kind of thinking about it now, there's something really there's like a sleight of hand that's played by whether it's the editor or the director whose ever vision it was um where you know you have all of the characters on screen and you can buy into the idea of like oh this is all happening over the course of an hour but then you know sometimes they'll just they'll full screen one person's uh kind of camera and it's like okay cool this is a cut here um but because it's you're never there's never like an obvious like everyone's screen goes black kind of moment um it masks those sort of edits and i feel like it really does make it feel like this is something that happened over the course of an hour and i don't know i feel like that's kind of terrifying like ooh, in the course of an hour you could summon a demon and then i don't know you could be going to the attic for whatever reason and your wine glass explodes <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it was fun i mean you know actually just hearing it back and like all of our takes on it and kind of like these moments i think host was very fun it was kind of an exercise in what new technologies that are emerging and how that can change our interpretation of horror and i think it's definitely worth checking out and i hope that that is the last one they did a good job with it let's not make any more stuff like that done agreed (laughs) i do want to ask you guys what you think of potentially announcing the next movie that we're going to watch so that listeners at home can watch it so we can talk about it and not have spoilers because we had maybe four different people ask us to do that in the last week Uh, do you have do you have any things um that you're considering I have one that we got a screener for uh, that Ian has as well, which is a movie based off the name I would never review. Like, I literally be like, absolutely not. But when I looked at the box, I, I the characters when it looked kind of fun. So the movie is called Uncle Peckerhead. Okay, so you can understand why I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but... When I looked at the box and I looked at the characters on it, it's like this scrappy little like punk rock band who are like the stars of it. And I I don't know, it kind of looks, their name is Duh, which is like totally stupid, but fun. So I'm kind of curious about it. What do you guys think? Oh, I'm completely in. I think that sounds like fun. You've sold me on it. So let's do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I read a little thing that was like, this is the best kind of punk rock horror movie since Green Room. And Green Room is one of my favorite movies. So I'm in. Let's, uh, I guess let's do Uncle Peckerhead. (laughs) Oh my God. So listeners at home, watch the movie. And then when you come back and listen to the next episode, you'll know everything and we won't have to avoid spoilers this time. Duh. <laughs> wow. Wow, Nini. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a little break now. And when we come back, we're going to go through an entire month's worth of listener questions. So stay tuned. And right after that's going to be the haunting of history. Arda Wiggs has been serving looks in the drag and costume community since 2009. Their reputation in the wig world is well known for providing luscious, thick, snatchingly good styles that turn heads and ensure you are serving the most devilish of looks. With over 100 colors and 80 styles to choose from, they're sure to have something to make you scream. Use the code ARDABOULE10 for 10% off at arda-wigs.com and treat yourself to something truly hair-raising. everyone as you know we skipped an episode of creatures of the night we were on set in a swamp for about a month and that has left us with a massive stack of listener questions and we want to try and get through as many of them as we can so let's dig in all right the first question is from ariel and ariel says swan mentioned that the DD challenge was her favorite episode i was just wondering if swan plays DD, and if so what race and class would she love to be? Ariel, what a great question. Um, it's true. I did love the D&D challenge. It was one of my favorites. It's because I love fantasy and I love fantasy mixed with horror. Just just so you know, um, I haven't played D&D in years. It's actually something that has come up in conversation with my friend group very recently. So I'm kind of considering it again. Um, but I used to run games when I was younger, so I was the dungeon master many a time. Um, I'm sure that's not that shocking to imagine. But if I was uh, a player, I'd often play some mix of elf, uh, like a half elf generally, and I would be a spellcaster almost always. So I was really so kind of, yourself. I was basically myself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next, Daphne wants to know, Swan, how do you deal with, oh my God, how do you deal with an overly opinionated Drac Morta? Oh God, I love our listeners. Not only do they pay attention to my likes, but they also pay attention to my sorrows and the things that I have to deal with on a daily basis. So Swan, (laughs) how do you deal with an overly opinionated Drac Morta? It's hard. Listeners would love to know. <laughs> it's it is a difficult thing. And and here's how I look at it. You are overly opinionated in many ways, but I think that's just a little bit of the bad that comes with a lot of the good of your character. And I think I'm I'm equally as strong in my character. So I kind of look at us like every now and then we kind of have to lock horns. It just kind of comes with the territory. I don't like to dwell on it. I like to keep it moving. There's there's a lot of good stuff between us and that's what I focus on. 
Wow. Must be hard. <laughs> Only I would know, right? <laughs> Take my word for it. It's definitely not an easy thing. Next Moving on from Tamara. Darling. Yes, from Tamara. Hi. Do you believe in destiny? Do you think you were meant to be together? I do believe in destiny, but I believe you can change destiny too. Um, I think that maybe there's sort of a loose roadmap and there are branches and choices and the choices that you make will determine which branch your path follows. Um, Oddly, I actually do believe we were meant to be together just because I remember when we first met and we were, you know, we had conflicts about different things. And I don't know if you remember me saying this to you, but I was like, you know, we're just going to be together for a long time. And I don't want to fuck it up this early on, you know? Do you remember that? I do remember that. I do remember that. I think that you had that insight long before I did, honestly. And I don't know where that came from. So I suppose I do believe in destiny and that I believe we were meant to be together. I love that answer. I'm just going to, I'm going to leave that uh, unaltered because I think I I share a lot of your opinion about that too. I do want to remind you that don't rest on your laurels just because I said that because that doesn't, that's, there's no guarantees. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't give you a free pass. Oh honey, you don't have to worry about it. You should rest on your laurels, uh, on your laurels. (laughs) when I referenced the question right before this, because not too many other people could deal with your overly opinionated self. You know why she (laughs) asked you that is because you said something like that on a podcast. Look, we both have- because she thinks I'm overly opinionated. Our listeners are not stupid. They don't need us to tell them how to think and feel. They can see your behavior for themselves. Gabriel would like to know, why a swan a cunt? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Gabriel asked, would you mind saying why you decided to keep your identity hidden? Because all supervillains, at least the good ones, keep their identity hidden. Yeah, you know, and uh, the backstories and all that's unnecessary. It's like uh, Skeletor is just Skeletor, you know? You don't need to know why or how or what he looks like at night when he takes his clothes. Who cares? He's Skeletor. That's all you need to know. But I wish I could share one thing. Very Since you're referencing Masters of the Universe, I think more people should know what evil Lynn's hair looks like when she does take off her headpiece. And I think that more people should know how my face and my hair look when I take off my headpiece because it is fucking snatched. (laughs) Oh my God, we are in such a silly mood today. But I will say, uh, you know, as far as keeping your identity hidden, I just feel that it's important when you're in the entertainment world to have a personal private life because, you know, especially with social media, the way it is today, you're really putting your own mental health at risk. So I think there's a time to turn it off, put it in a box and have your real life and not let those sort of things affect you. Let's expand on that one step further because I feel grateful that we have a choice. Oftentimes stars don't have that choice. They don't have like a stage persona that they can kind of put on and take off literally like right. we can. So it's, it's a valuable option. And, and I know that we, we feel the same way about it. And we, we take that option. Yeah, I think it's a benefit of drag. Now, of course, the drawback to that is every time you want to do anything, it takes you three to four hours to get ready. So there is a price to pay. (laughs) Right. Like, how about this idea of like, hey, why don't you guys do the podcast and record it like so we can see you? And I'm like, girl, (laughs) that takes that's a lot more investment. Aritz. Wow, that's kind of an interesting name. Aritz asks, do you still have insecurities when going out on stage? Uh, My answer to that is no. Yeah, I think that we've become so comfortable um, 
that I, I really don't either. I, I don't, I want to mix up insecurity with like nervousness because I think there's still, there's a nervous energy that kind of takes over backstage or the wings of a stage when you're just about to go on. And I kind of, I kind of tip that off to the, the energy of the audience, the energy in yourself, the expectation of the moment, but that is an insecurity. I just think that's a natural response to being, um, you know, being on stage and entertaining, but, uh, insecurity, I'd agree. Like, there is no in- feelings of insecurity when we go out on stage. I will say I'm usually every single time nervous that the tech crew is going to screw up our show because we are pretty demanding as performers as far as what we want from the house, like certain lighting cues and video and effects to happen and things like that. So there's a lot there that we expect. And I think a lot of clubs are not used to that sort of performance. And so I'm always nervous that they're going to screw something up and ruin the show. So every single time that is in my head when I'm on stage, so when you see me on stage and I'm looking fierce, you're like, wow, they look phenomenal. Know that in the back of my head, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, I hear that. And that is the truth. Um, so next question from Axel, is there any song you consider you can't perform because it doesn't go with the brand of the Boulay brothers? I mean, that's a hard yes. I think that there's a huge library of music that both of us love that we wouldn't be able to perform to because it really doesn't go with our very kind of specific branded personas. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love such a huge variety of music. I mean, jazz, I love old school blues. I love women of the blues. I love, I mean, God, country music. There's so much music that I love that we just would never touch. So the next question is from Krista. Uh, this looks long. Please, please forgive my ignorance on this. Why do you call Ian she? <laughs> Is she a drag artist or someone who identifies as a woman but doesn't outwardly present as a woman? I think I understand that you all call each other she because your drag personas are women. But I didn't think Ian was a drag artist. Is it just her alternate persona? <laughs> I love this. Krista, I love you. Can he come in? Can we bring him back? We have to. Ian, can you come back in, please? Hello. Are you hearing this? (laughs) I'm sitting here like, oh, my God. Allow me to finish the question. Is it just her alternate persona that is she? (laughs) Is it none of my business? I mean, don't hate me. I want to understand. I had to be educated on why the hell there'd be otters in the forest, too. (laughs) uh, do you want to answer that ian (laughs) um absolutely yes hi krista um please don't worry uh no no forgiveness needed on the ignorance it's all good um i think that we just kind of all i'm pretty much exclusively use female pronouns um everyone is she um my boyfriend is she my dad is she um, every, everyone be a she. Yeah, it's a de- it's a default pronoun for a lot of well, at least for me too. Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we all try to be, as, you know, as respectful as possible. And anytime someone is like, "Oh, I, I don't appreciate that pronoun," that's fine. But I do get a special kick out of like ultra mask guys, like the guy that I was in my voice earlier, are like, "Oh, I'm not a girl." I'm like, "All right, sis, cool." <laughs> I think that's I, where it comes from is like just us getting used to being like that, and it, I don't know, it just kind of happened. I like to refer to my straight married brother as she, like as much as I can. I forget. And then my straight guy friends will get mad. I I know I was out with a a couple straight uh, 
cis woman and man and and we were talking about something. I was like, oh, she's a bitch anyways. And they were like, so offended. They were like, so super offended. And I was like, what? And I was like, oh, he's never had someone call him a bitch before. And I was like, well, then he needs to get into it. <laughs> he doesn't live, darling. I'll get into it. I hope that clarifies the mystery. Do you think it's clear? I, I think amongst a lot of gay men, um, it's a it's a default pronoun, so you can call anyone she, and it's it's not offensive, and, and it's it's not even said in a disrespectful way. It's kind of fun. It's interesting, you know. Pronouns have become more important to people, I think, over the last few years. And so it does challenge that uh, sort of language, doesn't it? Language changes so frequently and so fast, and especially in the last couple of years, it's changing so rapidly. Um, but yeah, Krista, don't worry about it. I think um, everyone can be she. And that's definitely, that's just how we all refer to each other. Exactly. And you can feel free to wear your bra under your mask for mask clothes from now on, Ian, with no judgment. Oh, y'all already know I record every episode of the podcast in my panties. Oh my <laughs> Wait, this is perfect. We're, we're going to move on to the next question. Thank you, Ian. This, Thank is for, you. this is from Nathan. I love some of the more androgynous gender fuck looks that you've turned for appearances. Are there any elements of drag that you enjoy wearing when you are not working or performing? No. <laughs> no, there is not. That's a big no. Uh, drag is uncomfortable and it's fun to be in drag and to be your character and feel like your real self, but it is not fun to be in a corset and high heels and blind contacts and hair pins in your hair and all that. It is not fun and it is not coming home with me. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've said it before, um, you know, our style of drag, because there are many styles of drag and drag expression, but our particular style is extremely limiting and it's kind of painful and it's very involved from head to toe. Um, so the answer for me is a hard no. Um, if if anything, it would be maybe some makeup. Like if we would go out as boys to a certain club or whatever, and it was like an 80s night and it was like new wave or something, I can imagine kind of wearing a little makeup in a fun kind of way. That's easy. I don't even know if I would necessarily consider that drag, but it is part of my drag. Yeah, for me, I feel like we put so much into our look when we're in character and when we're our full selves that when we're working and we're at home and stuff, it, it almost feels like a pain. I, I like really don't want to look in the mirror or put on makeup or anything like that. It's the opposite. So yeah, for sure. This one's from Sasha Don. Sasha Don asks also in season three, did Swan or Vander or both or neither make that awesome spooky dollhouse featured in the season? I have read both did. It is fucking amazing. Oh my God. I love this question too. The truth is um, Vander does do a lot of our uh, production design on the, the third season of the show, as well as some of the second season of the show. But when it came to that house and filming that sequence, I was 100% responsible for that house. Um, it was like a million pieces and it just really sucked me in. I became obsessed with building it and I loved painting it. And it was really like my first foray into the world of like miniatures. And I kind of became obsessed with it and I love Beetlejuice. So it was sort of a labor of love. And um, I really enjoyed it from, from start to finish. You know what impressed me about you making that house was um, it would caught the script called for it and we all really wanted it to happen. And I was like, this isn't going to happen. We're running out of time. And you are so adamant. And when you came home with the, the beginnings of it, it was a giant 
box of little pieces. And I mean, there is no, I, I couldn't believe that you figured it out. Cause it's like, there is absolutely no way that she's going to get that done in time to film it. And you woke up before, before we would film every day and work on it for a couple hours. And you totally did it. I, I couldn't believe it. Thank you. It, it turned out to be therapy for me because it was just something tactile and, and it had a, a beginning, a middle and an end. It's not really like production where you, you can, you, you know, you can't even imagine how many potholes and how many left hand turns you'll have to take before you get to the end. This was something that I could lay out in front of me and just sink myself into and finish. And it was super satisfying. And I'm really glad that Sasha Dawn enjoyed it. <laughs> I think everyone enjoyed it. I, I love that mansion. And I'm glad that you insisted that it uh, showed up in the, the season. Thank you. I love it too. Um, the last question is, do you accept fan gifts? What is the best and most useful thing you were ever given? I think getting gifts from fans is so flattering and humbling. I love to get fan art and, uh, little things that people might think that I would enjoy. Um, and we've gotten so many really cool different things, everything from like hand stitched dolls to these kind of like almost religious sort of icon boxes and statues and just tons of paintings and drawings. Like I couldn't even pick a favorite. Like I think the art and just the art that goes into making them is just such a joy to receive. Like I'm not going to pick a favorite cause I kind of love it all. I love it all too. I will say people in the UK tend to give more uh, physical gifts than in the United States. I noticed, did you notice that? Yeah, I did. And, and uh, one of my favorite gifts that I've gotten was a, uh, a, a really nice teacup and saucer, which was an homage to a British sitcom that we reference on season two. Um, I sort of mimicked one of the characters from uh from Keeping Up Appearances, and in Keep, Keeping Up Appearances, the main character talks about this special teacup, and someone bought us a replica of that cup, and I thought that was really lovely oh it was so cute i loved that moment because as soon as it came out i knew exactly what it was and you know i love the show but i think you really really love the show so i thought that was very special for you absolutely so yeah you know i think people it's interesting because a lot of people in the united states don't catch those references that we make about uh british sitcoms so it's fun when we go to uh europe or the uk and people notice those things and they call back to them i'm like yay someone got it <laughs> No, totally. It's definitely fun. I think we are out of time for listener questions for this episode, but if you have questions for us about anything we're working on or anything we've discussed here on the show, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. It's time to change the mood a little and prepare yourselves for this episode's Haunting of History. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life documented supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. In the year 1725, Keselova was an unremarkable small village in Austrian-occupied Serbia. On the outskirts of town lived a farmer named Peter Blagojevich. 
While Mr. Blagojevich was reportedly in good health, he fell ill and suddenly died at the age of 62. Three nights after his burial and interment, Mr. Blagojevich's son reported that his father had mysteriously returned to his home, asking for food before vanishing into the night. Three days later, he returned, again asking his son for food, but his son refused him. The next day, his son was found dead. Over the next several days, nine other villagers also became ill and died from unknown causes. Each of the villagers who died had complained that they had seen the shape of Peter Blagojevich either in their bedrooms or in their dreams. In several corroborated reports, Peter would glide towards his victims, slash their throats, and consume their blood. He was believed to have killed all nine villagers within a week. The sudden deaths caught the attention of the local government, and the chief magistrate sent a report of the deaths to the commander of the imperial forces who came to the village to investigate. The coffins of the recently deceased were exhumed, and the bodies were searched for any sign of unnatural causes of death. When Peter Blagojevich's coffin was opened, authorities were shocked to discover that his body was less like a corpse and more like a person in a trance-like state. Written reports claimed that the body was actually still gently breathing. His eyes were said to be open, his flesh was plump and ruddy, and his nails and hair appeared to have grown since his death. His mouth was also said to be smeared with fresh blood. Peter Blagojevich was proclaimed a vampire and was staked through the heart. It was said that when the stake entered his body, blood gushed from nearly every orifice of his corpse. The body was then burned. No evidence of vampirism was found on any of the other bodies, and they were returned to their graves along with heaps of garlic and whitehorn, which were used in the 1700s as vampiric deterrents. Returning to Belgrade, the commander and his officers formally filed a report concluding that Peter Blagojevich had indeed been a vampire, and because of the military's involvement, the case became one of the best-attested cases of vampirism of its time, and placed Central and Eastern Europe as the center of vampiric lore. That's all the time we have for this episode. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you have questions for us about projects we are working on or anything we've discussed on the show, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, do us a favor and be sure to give us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. Remember to watch the Boulet Brothers Dragula streaming now on Netflix in the US, Out TV in Canada, Amazon Prime in the UK and Australia, and TVNZ in New Zealand. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is hosted and produced by Drac Morda and Swanthula Boulet, featuring co-host Ian DeVogler. Produced by Natasha Pasetta, edited and mixed by Ernesto Hortada, with music by Neuron Spectre.